0: And open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're continuing our series this morning. uh, Who am I? And walking through the book of Ephesians, uh, just kind of hitting some key passages. Um, And so as we move through this book, I pray that you are encouraged to know who you really are and where your identity can truly be found. Because I truly believe in our world today, uh, there are so many things that are trying to uh, tell us who we are, Uh, whether it be image, society, uh, culture, uh, finances, uh, whatever, your career, your success in a certain field, uh, all these things are kind of being supplemented to us as our identity. But we found out last week that our identity is really in one of two categories. And we're going to talk about that just as a review this morning before we move into some new stuff. And so before we do that, though, um, I do want to take just a moment and to recognize uh, today being Veterans Day. Um, If there is anyone here uh, that is a veteran, uh, either currently serving or has served in our armed forces in any branch, would you please stand? We would love to recognize you if you would stand just for a moment. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, I do want to say um, uh, Terry is here. He is Ushering or not ushering, but he is uh, monitoring today, and so he's out in the lobby today. He is serving or has served as well. So, we want to recognize him as well. As well as Shane is not with us today, but he is serving and has served in the Air Force, and so recognize him as well. And so, we are truly thankful um, for every individual that has given either a part or the majority of their life to service to this country, and we. We would not have the freedoms uh, that we have, would it not be for men and women that have sacrificed either a part or majority or all of their life to serve our country. And so uh, I have heard it said that freedom is not free. And so it takes men and women putting forth their lives and and, and serving the country that way. And so we recognize them. Um, Again, if you have a Bible, you can open to Ephesians 3. We're going to get to verse 1 in just a moment. Um, But last week, we said that you're really, when you're born... You are born into one category. God sees two categories of people in the world. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. There is no middle ground. There is no I'm in kind of in one and kind of in another. You are in Adam or you are in Christ. Naturally speaking, speaking, we are born in Adam. And that means we are born in sin, the Bible says. And that's not a popular word today. That's not a popular topic today. Uh, so many churches are veering away from things, talking about sin, talking about things like punishment and judgment and consequences. Um, the, the song we ended our worship set with, uh, Nothing But the Blood, um, is not a popular song uh, anymore, even in churches. Um, it's too gory. It's too graphic. Um, but I want to let you know that from not just my opinion or a Baptist perspective or any other denominational perspective, but from the word of God itself, it is clear that the only way we have forgiveness of sins is through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed on the cross of Calvary. Amen. And we can be excited about that. We can praise God for that. Because here's what that tells me. I can't do it on my own. I couldn't do enough good works to get there. I needed somebody on the outside, somebody completely objective, completely holy, to take on flesh and to dwell among us. And he became flesh. Jesus, the the Word, the, the God himself, part of the Godhead, left the realms of glory, came to this wretched planet. Lived a sinless life, died on a sinner's cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and rose again on the third day so that those who would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ could have forgiveness of sins and a relationship with Him for eternity in His heaven. And that is an amazing, amazing gospel. That is good news. And see, I'm so thankful that it was the blood of Christ that pardoned my sins and not works I have to do because if I can do it to pardon my sin, then I can lose that pardon if I screw up or mess up too much. But if it's solely in the grace of God, if it's solely in his grace, then it is he that also sustains my salvation. Uh, We didn't really venture into Ephesians 2 last week, uh, but I want to look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 just quickly. Familiar passage, this is kind of a springboard into this week as well as a wrap-up of last week. Many of you know this passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Again, if it was us that did it, if it was our good works that did it, If it was just go to church X number of times, just read the Bible through this many times, give a tithe check this big. And I've always said, we'll take the tithe checks, but that's not going to get you there. You want to give a big tithe check, praise the Lord. We'll cash it, we'll use it. But that's not getting you into heaven. Even doing religious works like going to the mission field, apart from being in Christ, doesn't change your standing. I know the testimony of an individual that was actually leading people to Jesus Christ. Not saved. Not saved, but leading other people to Christ. Preaching the truth of the gospel, but realized he himself wasn't even a follower of Christ. But thought, I'm doing these good things. Isn't this enough? And the truth is, it is all of God because it is all of grace. It is not me. And I've said this before, and it's, it's, it bears repeating so often in our lives. The Bible says that your good works, your best five minutes, uh, you helped a bunch of people across the street, you served a lot of people, you bought some people some groceries, your best five minutes is as filthy rags before a holy and just God. Because even our best is marred with sin. Because in Adam we are born in sin. And that sounds so bleak to just think about that. But when you realize that he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that if you put your faith and trust in him as your savior, confessing, repenting of your sins, turning to him and receiving his gift of salvation, surrendering to him, then the Bible says that you are now transitioned from in Adam to in Christ. And we said it last week, it is a beautiful thing to be in Christ. Because the Bible is clear. Once you are in Christ, you are no longer considered a sinner. You are called a saint. That's what the Bible says. You are no longer considered rejected. You are now accepted. And you are not cursed. You are blessed, the Bible says. But what do we say about those blessings? Sometimes those blessings come in random and strange forms, don't they? You ever have a blessing come that you've been praying for and looking forward to, but you even kind of forgot about it because it's been a while? And then it shows up and you're just like, oh, yeah. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's a peace that comes in the loss of a job and the loss of a loved one and you can't explain it. I remember when my mom passed, people would come up to the casket and they say, man, people are so, they mean really well, don't they? But can I just be transparent for a second? Sometimes we say the dumbest stuff next to a casket, don't we? and I'm just being real for a minute, there's a few times you're just like, can I just one, just one time, just, you know, say it again, bam. In Jesus' name. <laughs> but I remember, you know, it was, so, it was so cool how God moved. I remember standing there and shaking everybody's hand and hugging everybody, and people were so loving and so kind, and, and people kept asking me the same question. If you lost loved one, what's the question? They would ask, how are you doing? How are you doing? It's a foolish question, kind of, isn't it? But they mean well. I mean, we all mean well. It's not like they're saying it to be mean. They, they really want to know. Listen, how are you? I want to pray for you. I want to serve you. Can I get you a bottle of water? Are you hungry? Can I do something? You got kids? Can I take care of the kids for a couple hours? How are you doing? And you know, it's so amazing because it's only the grace of God that I can look at them and say, you know, I'm actually, I'm literally doing well. I mean, there was grief, but. But that passage, that we don't grieve as those who have no hope, took on whole new meaning for me. And I said, no, you know, I think... I'm, and they would, no, no, really, how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm okay. I, I think I'm okay. Because that's that peace that passes all, what? Understanding. It is all of grace to be in Christ. And you can't describe it any other way than man. It is just a, a relationship of peace. But as we're going to find out this morning, it's not the absence of struggle. To be in Christ is is the relationship that is really bound in peace and love and joy, but it is not in the absence of struggle. This morning, we want to look at the life of one that is in Christ. So we know we are in Christ if we have received Christ our Savior, but once you are in Christ, we need to understand that I am afflicted. I am afflicted in this life. What I appreciate about the Bible is that it is the most honest book that's ever been written. It is the most honest book that's ever been written. And like our lives, the Bible covers or doesn't deal with suffering just in one chapter or one book. It is woven through many chapters in all the books. And as we come to the book of Ephesians, we're going to learn about suffering and affliction and hardship through a man named Paul. You're in Ephesians chapter 3. I don't usually read a large portion of Scripture together, but I want to read verses 1 through 13. And I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, and then we're going to break this down just a little bit. He says this in Ephesians 3, verse 1, written to the Ephesian church, written to a church of believers, he says this, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore. In few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. You see that phrase again, in Christ Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Did you hear that? The apostle Paul wrote 13 epistles in our New Testament. Did so much for the work of Christ in the early church. He says, I am the least of all saints. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him, Wherefore, I desire that you faint not in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Let's just pray. I know Greg prayed, but let's pray real quick and ask God to bless his word this morning into our hearts. Father, we ask that you'd speak to us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up the depths of our heart, the depths of our mind, that we would think through these things. Lord, so often in church, it's misconstrued that it's all about emotion. It's all about reaction. Uh, But I pray that we would see that we need to use our minds, not just our hearts. That our thinking and our feeling can be one, united in Christ. That we can think on these things and understand these things in a very conscious way. But Lord, our heart and our feelings follow those thoughts. May our emotions not lead our thinking, but our thinking lead our emotions. And may we realize today, more than ever, am I in Christ? Do I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior? Am I in Christ or am I just in church? Am I in religion? Am I in good works? Lord, help me to understand the depths of that answer, that when I know where I stand with you, it affects every area of my life. And Lord, for those of us that are in Christ, we know we've struggled, we know we have afflictions, and may we understand to some degree today with your wisdom as our guide, how to, to walk and endure these afflictions of life and to use your wisdom to honor you and glorify you in all these things. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul opens up to the church at Ephesus that he is suffering and enduring, what does he say? Imprisonment. He says in verse 1, for this. I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, he's not just saying spiritually I'm a prisoner of Christ, he's literally in imprisonment right now. The Bible is very honest, again, that suffering is real and comes to God's people. And you need to know that that stands in contrast to some false teaching today that basically says if you really love Jesus, you won't suffer, that everything will go good, everything will go well. The bank account will always be full. And I know in the last couple of years, I've really kind of drifted into reminding us about this, maybe even weekly, if not monthly, but it's something that I see rampant in Christianity today. Uh, Books have been written. There's guys on TV, people on TV. All this stuff's being propagated that just, if you just love Jesus enough, everything will be fine. And you'll never struggle. You'll never have hardships. There'll never be any trials. But what's the reality? I mean, that sounds good, but what's the reality? We obviously know that we will suffer, and why do we know we will suffer? Because we know that Jesus suffered. And if Jesus suffered, then why do we think we would not suffer as his followers? Jesus suffered horrifically, and he suffered unjustly, and he suffered righteously. And the good news is that Jesus will bring all suffering to an end. Amen? The Bible says, one day he will wipe away every tear. I don't know about you. Are you tired of crying yet? You're tired of crying? Tired of weeping and, 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 and losing? And He says, one day I will put an end to all suffering. But in a world that's filled with suffering, we don't have a God who is immune from it and separated from it. He enters into it. He takes it and experiences it. And he identifies with us in the midst of it. Write that down if you're struggling today. He identifies with you in the midst of your struggle. He is not distant from you. He is near to you. And it's so, it's so strange how we respond to affliction in our lives, something that would, should really draw us closer to Christ, allow it to push us away from Christ. And we say things like, God, why would you ever make me go through that? Why would you allow this? we start questioning God. We start questioning his character and his love for us. You need to know that he identifies with you in the midst of your suffering. In studying for the message this week, I came across a resource that I thought was interesting, and it listed 13 different types of affliction. 13 different types of affliction. And I know what you're thinking. It's 1122, and he's just getting to a list of 13 things. We ain't leaving until four. Like, it's just going to go all day. I want to give these to you. They're just simple kind of ways to identify various kinds of affliction. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. This is not the only afflictions. This is, this is to give us a little bit of a framework to work with in understanding the afflictions we go through in life. The different types of affliction. And I, again, when I came across this resource, I thought it was very interesting the way that this author broke these things down. So I want to give these to you. And again, if you're taking notes, I know I'm going to go fast. So please see me after if you want a copy of the notes. We can get, I can just print these off for you. They're yours. You can have them. Uh, but I encourage you, if you are taking notes, maybe you can jot down a couple or one or two that stand out to you. The first thing we have to understand about affliction is that we are all afflicted and we've all afflicted others. You know, it's funny, when you say comments like that, nobody amends that. Nobody's like, oh, praise the Lord. Glory be, hallelujah. But isn't it true? We've all been afflicted. And we've all what? We've all afflicted others. You might say, well, I've never. Be very careful when you use words like never and always. I've never. Have you ever said something that afflicted someone? Have you ever thought and then acted in a way that was driven with bitterness to cause hurt to that person? Maybe you only said what you said just to hurt their feelings. That's a form of affliction. Maybe you've acted in a way of aggression towards somebody just to afflict them. We all know what it's like to be afflicted, but don't we forget that when we're afflicting someone else? All of a sudden, then we justify it and think it's okay for us to do it. But when somebody's doing it to us, we want to throw our hands up and cry for grace. We've all afflicted someone in some way, and we've all been afflicted. And once we understand that, it gives us equal footing to understand how do we move forward? How do we deal with this now? So I'm going to look at some types of suffering, types of affliction. The first type of affliction is called Adamic, or basically in Adam. Adamic affliction. This is where, because of Adam and sin entering the world, the world is just a broken place. This is just sinful things happen in a broken world. The other kind, another kind of affliction would be punishment affliction. For those who are not Christians, sometimes their affliction is punishment from God, and that culminates in eternal affliction, a place we call hell. And again, I know that's not popular to preach. Even some churches have said hell's not really real. There's no such thing as hell. Everyone goes to heaven because God is love. And it's always amazing to me, the very same book that we use to prove God is love, we ignore all the times that it says God is just, God is holy, God is righteous. And if if everyone just goes to heaven because God is love, then isn't it a very a very disgusting thing that God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in that cross, if He could just, because He is love, let everyone in, no worries? Isn't that a very, like, do you want to worship that kind of a God that allowed His own Son to suffer the cruelty of the cross, even though in the end of it all, He knew everyone would get in anyway? Does that make sense to you? Does that, does that sound like the character of God, to, to lay the sins of the world on His Son? that cruelty and that, that murder of his son, and then say, well, God is love, so everyone gets in no matter what. And I don't know. To me, that doesn't really, doesn't really go with this book. You know, and I guess I would say this. If you've never really read the book, read the book. And just as you're reading through it, what, what comes off the pages to you is a God who says sin is real, sin carries a consequence, There's a judgment for sin, but I sent my son to die for you, and if you would put your faith and trust in him, you can be spared that judgment, find eternal forgiveness. But if you so choose to reject my son, then you are just bound to suffer the consequences that you naturally would suffer because of your sin. It's your choice. That's what this book screams to us. Punishment affliction. Number three is consequential affliction. This is where, to use the language of Paul elsewhere, we reap what we sow. You you sow something, you reap the consequences of that, and sometimes that is affliction. There's also, in Scripture, demonic affliction. Demonic affliction. This is where Satan and demons are opposing and oppressing one or many of God's people. As a follower of Christ, Satan is trying to oppose you and trying to bring things against you, and so there's affliction there. Let me be clear on this. I do not believe that a follower of Christ, somebody that is saved, can be possessed by a demon or a a satanic force. I do not believe that the spirit of God and a demonic spirit can reside in the same individual. But I do believe Satan can oppose God's people. Satan can create environments that oppose God's God's people, come against God's people. So we see that in Scripture. There's also victim affliction. This is where someone sins against you, just blatantly sins against you, and you become the victim of an act. There's collective affliction. This is where you're part of a people who are suffering, and so you're suffering with them merely because you're part of this group. Disciplinary affliction. This is different than punishment affliction. Disciplinary affliction. This is where, for a believer, God allows some affliction not to punish them, but to mature them. God allows some affliction not to punish them so much as to mature them. This is that lovingly heavenly father trying to draw us closer to him so that we would grow in Christ. Vicarious affliction. This is where people seem like they hate us and afflict us, but what they really hate is the Jesus in us. Empathetic affliction. This is someone we love is hurting, and so we're hurting too. Again, for Paul and the church, that is the case because he is in prison and he says on behalf of them and their ministry. There's testimonial affliction. This is where you're being afflicted, but it's primarily as an opportunity to show people who Jesus is and what he's done. Testimonial affliction. There's also providential affliction. This increases the worship of God. Someone goes through a hardship but they endure it in such a way that other people come to know and love God that they're devoted to, love the God that they're devoted to. This would be an example of church history. I've always been amazed studying church history, and you read about this individual that's martyred at the stake, burned at the stake just because they were a follower of Christ and refused to reject their faith. And then you read about how they're praying for their tormentors. They're praying for their captors. And individuals are falling on their face before this individual who's burning to death for Christ, receiving Christ, saying, we want what this person has. That's what we mean When we go through an affliction and we come out the other side, enduring it by the power and strength of Christ, and people around us are saying, man, I need to know that God. I need to know how you can go through it like that. I mean, how in the world? I've always said, and I've heard people say, getting through struggle and affliction is tough without Christ, or with Christ. I don't know how people do it without Christ. I couldn't imagine going through some of the things that I've gone through just in Christ, let alone without Him. There's preventative... Affliction. This is number 12. We've got one more. Preventative affliction. This is where God allows some hardships, but it's to warn us and spare us from a greater hardship. Okay? This is where God allows some hardship, but it's to warn us or to spare us from a greater hardship. I'm so thankful he warns us about greater hardships. This is sometimes it may hurt getting yanked out of the vehicle going 90 miles an hour, but it's better than driving off the cliff. You see what I'm saying there by that example? Sometimes we need someone to, yes, momentarily there's a hardship, but it saves us a greater affliction. And then the last one, number 13, this is my favorite category of affliction, and it's the one I probably use the most often. This author called it this, and I thought it was great, mysterious affliction. I think we can all say Amen to mysterious affliction. This is where we don't know. We don't know why we're suffering. We don't know what's going on. We just don't know. Anyone been there? Anyone go through an affliction and you're just sitting there going, I just I just don't get it. I just I just don't understand. And so why do we need to think about these things? We need to understand what type of affliction we or someone else is going through so we can help them with the best wisdom in their situation. If someone comes to you and says they feel afflicted and admit they are living in sin, the answer is to encourage them what? It's not pray about it, change the circumstance. It's you need to repent. Lovingly, we need to encourage people that admit I'm living in sin. You need to repent because the affliction could be God trying to to get your attention. Job's friends in the book of Job, or for some of us, the book of Job, depending on pronunciation. Job's friends in the Old Testament did not apply the right counsel. They asked him to confess his sin, believing his affliction was consequential, when in reality it was demonic and testimonial. We have to understand the type of affliction to be able to, by the grace of God, endure it and help others through their trial. Job's friends wouldn't let it go. Just admit the sin. And Job's like, it's not sin. They didn't understand that maybe there was something else at play here. Often when we're going through a time of affliction, we ask the wrong question as well. We ask the question of why. Why? And it's not so much like why this affliction, it's why me? Why do I have to go through this? Often when we go through an affliction, we will ask the question, why? Over and over. We need to ask why in an honest way to evaluate the type of affliction. Again, am I in sin? Am I unrepentant in sin? Then that's where I need to start. But oftentimes, as we've already addressed, we don't know why. So what do we do when we don't know why? Let's ask a different question. Instead of why, let's ask who? We're not asking the question of why me, Lord. The question we need to ask is, who is Jesus? And who are you in Christ? What's your identity through your affliction? Because your affliction doesn't establish your identity, but your identity will get you through your affliction. Your affliction does not establish your identity, but your identity in Christ, your identity will get you through your affliction. As we have a grasp on the types of affliction and our identity in affliction, I want us to see what Paul wants to teach us about affliction. What does the Apostle Paul want us to learn? I truly believe we do not need to diminish our affliction. We do not need to compare it to anyone else's. To say that yours is easier and theirs is harder. Or mine is harder and theirs is easier. Let's take whatever you're dealing with and see what the Holy Spirit has to say through Paul. And then let's see what others are dealing with and how you might comfort them with the words of Paul. And I want to let you know everything hangs on in Christ. And you have to understand that. And I can't put it any way. And I know maybe you're sitting here today. And I'm not naive enough to think that everyone in this room is on the same page and everyone here is a Christian and everyone here has given their life to Christ and everyone here is, is a follower of Christ. I, I, I hope and I pray and I wish that was true. And i pray not afraid that that's true. But I've said it before, one of the most concerning verses in the New Testament, Jesus' words to me as a pastor of a church for the last, well, I don't even know, five, five, six years, whatever it's been. Jesus said, many Many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I never knew you. And what concerns me most is that group, that, the many, it sounds like they went to church. Man, it sounds like they had some kind of an understanding of, of God. It, they even knew the name of Jesus because they did works in the name of Jesus. Man, they were church Goers, if you use our language today, and it concerns me because I wonder how many people sit in a church week after week. You're here, you grew up in church, you heard the gospel, you know it here, but you've never let it transition to here. It's not belief, it's just knowledge. And you can know a lot about God and not know God. I've used illustrations so many times before, I can know a lot about Bill Gates. I can learn about Bill Gates, find out Bill Gates' hobbies, interests, all those things. But if I show up at Bill Gates' house, knock on the door and say, Hey, Billy, what's going on? Let's, let's have some coffee. First of all, I probably won't even get to the front gates, right? And if I say, No, no, I know a lot about you. He's going to say, But you don't know me. And how many people have sat in church and can tell you the stories? I mean, some people know the Bible stories better than I do better than you do and they can tell you all the verses they can tell you all the doctrine they can tell you all this stuff and it comes down to they aren't really in Christ and so when you're dealing with affliction do you know why I truly believe one of the reasons people walk away from their faith so called is because affliction comes and they were never told affliction was coming they got told a gospel that was really a fabrication get saved and everything gets great Get saved and no worries. Get saved and everything's good. Get saved and God makes your life better. You can live your best life now. And all the kinds of garbage out there. If you just get Jesus. Like he's just this genie that we just, I I, I pray and oh look, poof, a Cadillac. Poof, a million dollars. We have this perception that the gospel is more about us than it is about him. The gospel is all about him. Do we benefit from the grace of God? Oh yeah, we do. But do you realize salvation isn't really even about you? Do you realize salvation is more about celebrating the grace of God than it is about you receiving the grace? Read Luke. When, when the prodigal returns and they throw this big celebration to celebrate all these things, that really wasn't a celebration for the prodigal, was it? What the prodigal do to deserve all that? Goose egg. It was a celebration of the Father's goodness to the prodigal. That's what the celebration was really about. And so when we understand this, listen, we all go through things. And we're going to break this down in a minute. The Apostle Paul is going through some things. The Apostle Paul was shipwrecked and beaten and tormented. And then we go, no, God, not me. God, would you use me for your glory, but allow nothing bad to happen in my life? God, allow no affliction in my life. Allow everything to be comfy and cozy and perfect. I don't want to suffer one thing. God, don't allow me to be afflicted at all, but use me as you use your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Use me as you use the apostle Paul. Use me as you use the original apostles and disciples. And he's going to look at you and say, I can't do both. Right? I can't do both. I want to use you as Christ, but I also have to allow you to go through some things so that you can be used. Like I use the Apostle Paul. So let's look at these lessons quickly this morning. Lessons from suffering from the Apostle Paul. What does the Apostle Paul want us to know about suffering as followers of Christ? Well, the first thing we have to understand is that we are afflicted for the good of others. We are afflicted at times for others' goods. Good. Paul affirms in Ephesians 3 1, he points out that he is a prisoner for who? Before Jesus, but also for who? For the Gentiles. He says, I'm a prisoner for Jesus, no, of Jesus rather, but for you, the Gentiles. One translation says it this way: When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you, Gentiles. He says, Man, I'm a prisoner of Christ for your benefit. A man that once persecuted the church that chased Christians down all over the known world to imprison them and even see them them killed for their faith, now says, I'm going to endure persecution because he understood a key. It was and is purposeful. It's purposeful. One author said it this way. Paul is saying, I'm in jail because I want people to come to know Jesus and my suffering is an opportunity for me to testify about Jesus. Jesus. Afflicted for others' good. That's tough. That's tough. When we go through something and God's allowing it. Now remember, God doesn't author all these afflictions. He's allowing these things to happen in our life. Why? Because of the world we live in. Because there's people around us that don't know Christ. Because people sin against us. And all these things are happening. and, And Paul's sitting in prison thinking, God, I'm so thankful to be here because I know it's for their benefit. I know it's going to help your gospel go forth. He says in another epistle, I don't want you to be ignorant that all these things are working for the glory of God. So the next thing we need to understand is not just afflicted for others' good. We're afflicted for your growth. Afflicted for your own growth. Paul realized that all that is and has happened to him is so he might mature in the things of God. He even says in verse 8, If you go down with me, look at verse eight. He says unto me, "Whom least, I'm sorry, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ?" He says he is least among all the saints, and yet has been given grace to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. When we are afflicted, it is a time that we can grow and mature as followers of Christ. We can see in greater detail the need to lean on him and his strength to live this life. Paul says that the grace given to him by the working of his power. I want to break this down just real quick, so stay with me here for a moment. This idea of the working of his power. The working of his power. The word working in this passage is where we get the word for energy. And the word for power is where we get the word for dynamite. This combination is used here to speak of the power in us in Christ. So I want you to think about this now. The word working means energy. The word power means dynamite. The word used here for working is in the New Testament, only used to speak of superhuman power. So Paul is saying that the grace given to him is a godly energy which is active and powerful in us. Remember this when we get into the end of the message. I want you to think on that fact, that God has given us in Christ this energy, this, this ability, this power, this intrinsic power which is active in us. And why does he give it to us? So we can grow in him, but we're going to get to the end of the message and find out there's another aspect to that power that he gives us. So we are afflicted for others' good because we want to help someone and be there for someone and affiliate with someone that's going through something, but also because it may benefit them spiritually. We're afflicted for our own growth. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest with you. The times we grow the most is when we go through something the toughest. Man, it's when you're up against it that you're forced to rely on. What, what do you really believe? I, I've heard it said that there is no atheist in a foxhole that when your life's up against it, all those intellectual and conceptual thoughts about God and is there a God and all of this go right out the window because I'm telling you, people pray even those that don't believe. This is why 9-11 comes and we see all of our leaders standing on the steps of the Congress building, Capitol building, crying out, singing, God bless America. Same people that are passing legislation to remove God from our country are now saying, God, because we've gone through this, would you bless and heal our country? It's amazing how when we go through something, it forces us to choose. Am I going to go deeper into self or am I going to grow in Christ? Number three, another lesson we learned from the Apostle Paul is that we are afflicted for God's glory. We are afflicted for God's glory. Paul encourages the church with a truth that is key to our life as a Christian today. Check out Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 10. Ephesians 3 and verse 10. Says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he hath purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Listen to verse 13. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul's encouragement to the church is to faint not. Another translation would say it this way, do not lose heart. He doesn't say, don't be sad. He doesn't say, don't uh, choose to ignore my tribulations. He says, you know, it's okay. You can talk about my tribulations. He says, but no matter what, don't lose heart at the fact of my tribulations for you. The word faints, here in the text means to be wearied out. To be wearied out. To just be exhausted. To be utterly spiritless. Small s. You know what it's saying? You just lose heart. You're just exhausted. Can I ask you a question? Not just physically because the end of a long day of work, but have you ever really felt spiritually speaking exhausted? Anyone been there? Just wore out spiritually. Just feel like God. I just, I just whooped. Paul doesn't merely ask the church, "Hey, don't talk about my tribulations. Ignore them. Pretend like everything's good." He says, "Listen, as you know very much what I'm going through, you can't lose hearts. You can't quit." Paul doesn't merely ask the church to not lose heart in the face of his afflictions, which seem like defeats. right? If you're you're sitting in the church at Ephesus and you read a letter from the Apostle Paul who founded your church, the, the Apostle Paul planted the church at Ephesus, he's the one that started it, and you're reading about your founder, the one that led you to Christ, is now sitting in prison. What kind of emotions do you think the church was battling with? Oh, man. If he's in prison... He's defeated. He's, they're, they're, they're taking him. Man, where's our strength come from? How are we going to move on? If he, if he wasn't strong enough, they're just wearied and just exhausted at the idea that this seems like defeat. But really, and honestly, Paul sitting in that prison is producing victorious fruits for the glory of God. You see, he also then goes on and I love this about the Apostle Paul. You read in verses 10 through 13, he gives them an, a counsel, a word of encouragement an admonition. Don't lose heart. Don't quit. But it doesn't stop there. And I want to read the rest of the chapter. Look at verses 14 through 21. I know we're running short on time, but let's read this together. Because he doesn't just say, don't lose heart now, okay? Find, strengthen yourself to not lose heart. He says, don't lose heart. And then he prays for them. He prays for them. Look at verse 14. For this cause. Now sometimes we jump right to verse 14. We don't even read the whole chapter and we lose something called context of scripture. We don't get the full big picture. What is Paul saying? For what cause? So that they won't lose hearts. In what? The face of tribulations. And you see how if you don't know that, you can just put whatever cause you want there. For this cause I bow my knee, that I might get a million dollars and live as comfortably as possible. For that cause I bow my knee. You've got to understand, what's Paul saying here? He says, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Again, Why? So I can live my best life now? No. So in the midst of persecution and suffering and tribulation, I am strong in Christ. Man, we got to understand, what is Paul really trying to get us to understand here? Then he goes on and says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Listen to this now. This is, again, we love verse 21, or verse 20. I've seen this written all over things. Graduation cards, encouragement cards. Just verse 20, though. It's amazing. We seem to pluck out verse 20 and use it where it fits best, but we don't take it in the fullness of the context. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power of... What's the power that works in us? We, you got to go back that idea to what he talked about in the previous verses about that power from Christ, that strengthening power of Christ in us. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, comma. Because again, don't we want to just use that for anything? Well, I can imagine a lot of things. <laughs> Anybody got a good imagination you can imagine quite a bit? Oh, this is where that genie thing comes in, right? I prayed, and you can do whatever I think and ask and want and imagine. Verse 21, why does he do this? Why verse 20? Why the prayer? Why the tribulations? Why all of it? Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Amen. Paul asked his Father in heaven to strengthen the church. This is because Paul understood not only is he suffering, but the church will suffer affliction. And he says, why are you going through this? So that God is glorified. And the scary thing is for many, many believers, God's glory is not a good enough reason to willingly go through persecution and affliction. For many believers, I need to know something more. I need to know the why. I need to know how it's going to work out. I need to know what's going to look like. I need to know all of this. But what did we say in our dangerous prayers series just recently? What did Isaiah cry out? Send me. He didn't need to know all the plan. He didn't need to know how it's going to work out. He just said, I don't care. Blank check. Here's my life. You do with it what you want. I just want to be where you are. And Paul says the same thing here. It is the glory of God That is the key in all of this. So let me ask you a question this morning. What what affliction are you enduring? What do you feel like is coming against you? If it is consequential because of an unrepentant sin, you can make that right today. I truly believe he's drawing you to him if there's unrepentant sin in your life. If you're suffering from a different type of affliction, maybe because of someone else's choice, maybe you want to come and pray. And just say, God, give me the wisdom. Let me understand that this affliction can be used for the good of others. It can be used to grow me into a person of Jesus Christ and a greater understanding of what that looks like. And it is for your glory. God, I'm not just going to come and pray for the affliction to cease either. So that's usually what we pray. When we get into affliction, we say, God, would you remove the affliction? We can pray that. But maybe we should add, but God, if it's your will that I'm going to go through this season of affliction. I'm going to pray that you give me the right perspective on it. I'm going to pray you give me the right mindset on it, that I would realize, how can I think of this as the good of others? How can I allow this to grow me, and how can it glorify you? Maybe you want to come and pray, realizing that your affliction is not your identity, but your identity is in Christ. And maybe you forgot that. Maybe you're here and your affliction seems all that there is, and you have forgotten your identity. I promise you, focus in on who Christ is in you and you in him. Abide in him, let his words abide in you, and your affliction will maybe not cease. Again, it's not just going to go away. I mean, it may or it may not. The Apostle Paul cried out three times for his thorn in the flesh to be removed. And God's answer, we over-spiritualize it. And we say, oh, but God said my grace is sufficient for you. He did, and his grace is sufficient. But what was the answer to the prayer? No. God, would you remove this? God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. That's saying, in spite of me allowing the thorn in the flesh to remain, my grace is sufficient and will comfort you. But the thorn remains. And that's so tough for us as human beings, as independent thinkers to think about. But we have to realize if God allows affliction in our life, he is God over all, and he can use it for the good of others. He can use it to grow us into the person of Jesus Christ and the identity of Christ, and he will be glorified in it. And so I I encourage you, what is God leading you to decide this morning to think on, to pray on, and would you respond to him? Uh, In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song, and there's going to be some individuals up front here that would love to pray with you. And if you're going through a time of affliction and you just want to pray with someone and say, look, I'm in the mysterious category. (laughs) I just don't know. God, give me wisdom. Help me understand this so I can move forward with the right perspective. Maybe you want to come and say, God, thank you for affliction in my life because I know it drew, drew me closer to Christ. Maybe you want to come and say, God, I don't understand and I'm struggling with perspective. I'm struggling with thinking that your glory is enough. Would you help me? And then finally, my last challenge to you is this. If you're sitting in this room right now and you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, I don't know what is keeping you. I don't know what objections you have. I don't know what maybe intellectual things that you're kind of struggling with. I don't know where you are. I don't know what it is that you're sitting there going, I just don't know that I can believe all this. Then maybe you would come this morning and just say, would you pray with me? And maybe there in your seats, you would just say, God, I'm just going to open myself up to you. I don't know if all the stuff this guy's saying is true but would you just speak to me? Maybe you're there and you want to receive Christ. It's simple. Cry out to him. Ask him to save you. Repent of your sin. Surrent. Just turn your life over to him and watch him do great things through your life and show you the peace that passes all understanding in the midst of affliction. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer this morning as we pray? Father, as we spend this time this morning, just before your throne, looking to hear from you. I pray that in just a moment, as we sing this song of invitation, that that you would lead, guide, and direct, that we would be open to you and what you have for us, that we would not hinder you in any way. Father, I pray for the one in this room right now that is going through a time of affliction, whether our world would think it's a small affliction or a great affliction. Lord, it's... It's not for us to judge. It's not about comparing afflictions and trials. It's about coming alongside each other. And if one of us is, is weeping, we weep with them. If one of us is laughing in joy and excited, we are excited with them. We're here for one another. And Lord, we know that, that this world, as it is in its fallen state, brings affliction into our lives. And we read from the Apostle Paul that we can have a perspective on our tribulations or the tribulations of others in, in, in Christ that is to the glory of God. Would you give us the right mindset today, Lord? I love in your word, it says that if we think anything other than this, that you can show us the truth. And I pray that you would do that today. Lord, again, I thank you for every person that is seated here today, every person that has come this morning. And I pray, Lord, that they would respond to you in whatever way you're leading them. If there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, would they Lord, would they just come to know you today, realizing that they need you more than anything else? Would they cry out to you, receive your salvation, repent of their sin, and trust in you? Lord, we thank you for all that you do. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as the praise band leads us in a song of invitation. Would you take just a few moments this morning and respond to him whether you want to come and pray there's already those at the altar maybe you want to come and pray and just step out and say god i need your perspective on this whatever god is leading you to do would respond in you want to come forward let's let's respond to him this morning